0: Section 73 of Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Tatiana Schicilla. Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. An Authentic Record of Remarkable Cases by John B. Lewis and Charles C. Bombaugh. Suicide, Part 5. The Monroe Snyder Case, Part 2. Mr. Snyder had been unfortunate in some of his financial investments and speculations during the two or three years preceding his death, so that his estate was impaired to such an extent as to subject him to serious embarrassments. His residence and other real estate were mortgaged for a large amount, and what money he could raise was invested in hazardous slate and ore speculations, from which he derived no income or profit. By the highest estimates, the total value of his property was $27,500, while his liabilities amounted to more than $36,000. Among other efforts to retrieve his diminished assets, he had entered into business relations with a Mr. Lynn, which proved to be the cause of much annoyance and trouble. The day before leaving home for New York, he effected a settlement with Lynn, disposing of the leases which he held for operating in hematite ore in New Jersey. He then completed a lengthy written statement addressed to his son Lewis, wherein he speaks of the settlement just effected with Lynn. An ill-defined rumor concerning the existence of such a paper was afloat, And Mr. Lewis W. Snyder was recalled to the witness stand when the district attorney called the witness's attention to the fact that much had been said about a certain paper which was left addressed to him, and asked if he would show that paper to the coroner and jury. The witness replied, "'No, sir, I will not. It is a purely private matter which has nothing to do with this case. I found it in my father's safe on Sunday morning after his death. He also left a will. I am directed in the instrument not to reveal its contents. It reveals nothing bearing on the case.' The legal adviser of the witness here interposed and said that he had read over the paper referred to, that it directs about certain stock, instructs his son, the witness, to keep out of certain enterprises, and gives a great deal of information solely regarding business. It speaks of his holding some doubtful securities and of other matters which it would be entirely improper to lay before the public. It speaks of enterprises in which the prospects may be good, but counsels sticking to legitimate business, which is surer, though it returns less profit. The coroner expressed a desire to see the paper. The counsel for the witness said that he could not, that it had nothing whatsoever to do with the case. Some sparring between the lawyers ensued, and the witness said that he must decline to show the paper. The district attorney remarked that unless the paper was shown, there might be unfounded suspicions against the witness, which would be removed by its exhibition, and that the coroner must see the paper. The witness's counsel here exclaimed, Commit him if you dare. What is this suspicion founded on? Nothing. I will agree to let the district attorney see that paper, but the coroner cannot, and I have instructed my client not to show it. If the district attorney thinks it should be made public, I will so instruct my client. The witness and his counsel then retired with the district attorney, where they privately examined the much-talked-of paper, and upon their return to the jury room, the district attorney said that he saw nothing whatsoever in it, which in any way connected it with the case. The handwriting was identified as that of the elder Mr. Snyder, and the prosecuting attorney expressed himself as perfectly satisfied. But the effort to suppress this important manuscript did not succeed, and the demand for its production was reluctantly complied with. It was produced upon the condition prescribed by the counsel of Lewis Snyder that a separate oath be administered to the coroner and jurors that they should not divulge its contents. The representatives of the press then demanded the publication of the letter, and those having it in charge, fearing the censure and odium as well as suspicion that would be aroused and expressed if they longer pursued this policy of silence, reluctantly yielded, and the letter was published. Its contents have such an important bearing upon the questions involved in the case that we here introduce a verbatim copy. To my dear and much beloved son, Louis. Louis, sometimes I feel, and it appears to me that I want to be here, with you and mother, on this world, long any more, but we don't know what God will let happen with us, but we have to submit. I don't hope to get killed or die soon, but sometimes I feel and think that I would not be in this world long any more, Louis. If God calls me home or away from you and mother, you must do the best you can. First of all, be kind to mother, whatever you do, and see that she is well cared for. Louis, I have more debts than you know or that you think, but I can't help it. You know that I have always tried to do the best I could, but oftentimes where I thought I could make something, I lost. I often thought that I would tell you more about my circumstances than I did, but when I meant to tell you, I could not do it, and if I would, it would not make it any better. If I could turn things into money, what I would like to sell, I could shift it round, but there is no sale for nothing at present. Louis, I have my life insured for $65,000 altogether. For 20000 in the Penn Mutual Life Insurance Company of Philadelphia, and for $30,000 in the Mutual Life Insurance Company of New York, and for $10,000, I have an accidental policy in the Hartford Company of Connecticut, and 5000 in the Mutual Protection Life Insurance Company of Philadelphia, which is for the benefit of mother. 20000 in the Penn Mutual is for mother, and 10000 in the Mutual Life of New York is for mother. All of my other insurance is for your benefit. If anything should happen with me, Lewis, get the money out of the insurance companies, for they have to pay it. The agents of the companies I insured in will assist you and pay all my debts, for I borrowed some money to pay the premiums on the insurance, so that my creditors could perhaps get a hold of insurance, and if they could not, pay all my debts and be a man, so that nobody can say that they lost money on your father. You can pay all my debts and hold all the property if you get the money out of the insurance companies and have money left. I insured too much. It costs too much money to keep it up or to pay the premiums. But I am in now. I will keep it up if I can." Lewis, keep out of these companies, for it is worth nothing to be in these large companies, and be very careful that you don't get cheated so much. And don't let people talk you into all these things or into anything. Lewis, don't show this paper to anybody, whatever you do. Don't let any person see it. Keep it entirely a secret. If anything should happen with me, sell my interest in all these iron mine or ore leases. It is too expensive and very risky business. And don't listen to what other people tell you, and tend well to your store. The insurance companies must pay the insurance, what I am insured. They can't get out of it. If I am gone once, don't let people know for how much I am insured or how much I am in debt. Keep it as much secret as you can, for not everybody need to know, for it won't make it any better. But when you get the money out of the insurance companies, if it ever should happen so, don't think you would keep the money and not pay the debts for that purpose I insured so much that all my debts can be paid if anything should happen. You can pay the debts and have some money left and keep all the property what we have if you manage it right. The agents of the companies will assist you in taking the affidavits for proof of death and so on. Louis, you will find my last will and testament in the safe in a sealed envelope. Louis, don't do as I have done. Don't let people talk you into anything, to go security or endorse notes to the banks and all sorts of such things. Be very careful about such things and don't do as I have done. I done a great deal too much of such things. Louis, keep that safe and the gold and the silver money what is in the safe. Keep that without fail and keep all the property for the present time. If I should be called off, for in course of time the property here will bring a good price. I made you my executor in my will. If anything happens with me, you must take my will to Easton, to the register's office, inside of thirty days of my death, and take out your papers as executor of my estate. The man that signed the will, as witnesses, you must take to Easton to testify to the will. You don't need to give security as executor. You can take an inventory or an appraisement of my things, and before you have to keep a sale, you can see whether you get the money of the insurance companies or not. Monroe Snyder. Lewis, I don't hope or expect to die soon or get killed, but God only knows, we can't tell. Life is uncertain, but death is certain. About keeping Llewellyn's insurance policy up. If he lives longer than I, you can do as you please, or as you think best. Try and keep everything as it is and as quiet as possible. It is of no use to let everybody know how things are. I know if something should happen with me, Mother would trouble herself a great deal about it. If it should be the case, take good care of her, whatever you do. Lewis, I think I told you that the Penn Mutual Life Insurance Company holds a mortgage of $5,000 on our house, for which they hold one of my insurance policies of $5,000 as collateral security. I have a paper in the safe that shows it and the receipts that I paid the premiums on it. They also hold a fire insurance policy as collateral security, which is transferred to them. You must see that it comes all right. Jonas Snyder holds the fire insurance policy on the drugstore building as collateral security for Mr. Taylor's mortgage. That policy is not transferred. I have a receipt in the safe from Jonas Snyder. Lawyer Stout at Easton is the agent for the fire insurance company, where the drugstore property is insured in. Mrs. Reader at Easton holds the insurance policy on your stock as collateral security for the blank thousand dollars what Shoemaker had loaned of her. Lawyer Reader attends to her business so that you can find everything and try and straighten it up for God's sake. Monroe Snyder. Lewis, I think it would be best if something should happen with me if you would get everything appraised and sell it. Mother can take at the appraisement what she wants, and anything of the personally property you want, you can buy. But the houses or real estate you can't buy, because you are my executor. You can't give a deed to yourself, but Mother can buy the real estate or get a good friend to buy it for her, and she can take the deeds, and afterwards give you another deed. I think that would be the best way. And about Grandmother Beale's estate, see that it comes all right, so that Daniel and Regal, who are my security, need not to pay anything for me. The best way, I think, is to sell everything after I am gone, As soon as you get the money out of the insurance companies, for that matter about the St. Nicholas Slate Company, and others might make you trouble, where I am security, if the property is not sold. If you sell the property for cash, it won't come so high, and if you give the money of the insurance companies for my insurance, that would be the best way. Anything of the personal property you can take, by the appraisement or buy it. You and mother can keep all the personal property. Keep by the appraisement or buy it. Don't let the safe go to strangers. Keep that and keep the silver and gold money what is in it. If you don't keep the other money, if there is any, the silver and gold. Don't say anything to nobody, that is some of grandpap's yet, and William and Amanda had some when they died. That is in the safe yet, and yours too, what you have for a good many years. Keep all that, and don't let mother give all her money, if I am gone, so that she has something to live. If the insurance is all paid, you can get along right well, and I can't see no reason why they won't be paid, for the premium is all paid, on the policies, and the companies are good companies. Do the best you can, but never go security for nobody. Nor never endorse a note for no man, no matter who he is. If you manage right, you can get along without asking anybody to go security for you or to endorse for you. Don't give up Shoemaker's slate stock certificates, what I hold, as collateral security until he has settled all his notes, what I have endorsed for him. This guardian thing you must also settle. Charles' things are all settled, but Owen Beale's child I am guardian for, and for Lewis Birkenstock's two little girls. If I am not here any more, they will get other guardians, but don't go guardian for nobody, it only makes trouble." But see that these things all come right. The books and papers about this Guardian business are all in the safe. They show everything how it is. Lewis, you know how it is with the wagons, that one of them belongs to you. Which one you want, and that sleigh, wolf robe and blanket and bells, are also yours. It was bought for you and you must keep it. If Henry Beale ever asks you to take that slate stock back, what he got of me, don't you take it. Don't you pay him any money, don't give him a cent, for he can't make you do it. Perhaps he will never ask you. I don't know as he will. He never asked me to take it back, if he would or ever will. I won't do it. Only see that Grandmother Beale's estate is settled upright so that they can't say that they did not get their money. And if the securities had to pay anything, I think Daniel is pretty severe, if he gets mad once at anybody. Mother's money, you must take care that she gets out of the insurance companies, for she can't. You must see, too, that you will also find a receipt for your stock in the store so that you can hold that. Perhaps my creditors might try to get a hold of it, but I don't see how they can, if you have this receipt that shows that you paid me for it. If anything happens with me, settle everything up all right, and as soon as you can, and as quiet as you can. The sooner the better. If you sell the houses, let mother buy them, or get a good friend to buy them for, and she can take the deed and give you a deed. Again, I think Henry Beale would be a good man to buy the houses for mother. You can't trust anybody, particular no stranger. Perhaps if you would get Hess to buy it, he would not let you have the half, any. If you sell the houses for cash or short credit, they won't come so high, and you can do that, because you get the money out of the insurance companies. If mother ever gets money of the insurance companies—if she lives longer than I do—you must take care of it, for she can't, and don't let her lend out unless you see it. If you put it in a good national bank, I think that is the safest, or take the first mortgage on real estate. Whatever you do, don't let people belay you or lay you in things as they did me, and stay out of these companies. Never go in a company of no kind, for it is worth nothing to be in these companies. But you are old enough to look a little ahead, and don't spend much money on them iron ore leases. If you can get a little something for them, sell. And if no, let them run out. And don't spend much money on them, for it is very risky business. Lottery business, as Mr. Jacob Highstand said. Louis, I settled up everything with Lynn. He is to pay everything we owe over in Jersey. So now, Louis, keep out of these things as I told you often, because it is worth nothing. This mining is very risky business. Don't spend any money on them leases what I hold, and if you can get anything for them, sell them. If not, let them run out." If anything should happen with me, which I hope it won't, but we don't know, for life is uncertain, but death is certain, Lynn must pay everything what owe in Jersey, for lumber and work and for hauling the ore, and Klein's royalty and Klein's timber, and everything before he can get them notes, what he left me as collateral security. I also gave him that lease there at Klein's, what I had on Henry R. Kuhn's land, otherwise I could not settle with him. Monroe Snyder This letter tells its own story of despondency and of impending bankruptcy. Lewis, I have more debts than you know or that you think, but I can't help it. If the harassed debtor could only shift around, there would be some hope, but there was no sale for nothing at present. Then he immediately adds, I have insured my life for $65,000, and proceeds to enumerate the companies and the amounts insured in each. The aggregate sum is rather large for a man of his age and means. Even the payment of one annual premium must have been burdensome, for it appears that on his policies, the estimated yearly payments, less dividends, would be $1,869. As a matter of fact, he was unable to pay his premiums in full, and he gave his note in settlement of one of them. His bank book had been posted, and not a cent was due him as a depositor. His check was protested, and several notes were rapidly maturing, which he was unable to meet. As guardian, he had been cited to file his account, and at a time when it was impossible to pay his wards a dollar of their money. He knew that before another season would pass, he must be regarded as a ruined man. It will be observed that he looks forward to the sum insured as the sole hope of saving his estate to his family." In short, he says, I insured so much that all my debts can be paid. According to the evidence of one of the agents, the insurance last placed upon his life was solicited by the agent and not by the insured. Snyder was unwilling to insure unless he could trade off some of his slate stock in payment of the premium, and the agent undertook to dispose of it for him, but without success. Finally, he consented to give his note for one premium, which he did to the sum of $517.80. With a view to detect, if possible, the guilty person or persons who caused Mr. Snyder's death, numerous witnesses were subpoenaed and every rumor thoroughly sifted. Under the stimulus of rewards exceeding $5,000 in amount, the best detective talent of New York and other cities was actively at work, but no trace of an assassin could be found. Finally, the evidence being all in, the jury after an hour's deliberation found that Snyder's death was occasioned by an effusion of blood upon the brain, caused by injuries received at the hands of a person or persons to the jury unknown. This verdict, as compared with the previous one found by the same jury, differs therefrom in assigning, as the cause for the effusion of blood upon the brain, simply the word injuries, with all that word implies, in the place of a blow upon the head. Evidently, after a protracted hearing of the evidence, the jury had become satisfied there had been no blow to the head. There certainly was no external visible sign of such a blow, according to the evidence nor were any injuries found upon his person other than the cuts upon the abdomen, and to these, ex necessitate, the jury must have referred as the cause of the effusion of blood upon the brain. It would be interesting to know by what pathological reasoning they arrived at this brilliant conclusion. At the time of the autopsy, it was agreed by the medical gentlemen in attendance that this effusion was the immediate cause of death. No examination, however, was made of the lungs, and no inquiry was made to ascertain if the effusion was the result of strangulation from drowning. As there was an entire absence of external indications of violence, the presumption became very strong that the cause of the effusion was internal and not external. End of section 73